chapter 5, Mark chapter 5. As you know, we're in a series called The Jesus Stories. We're going to look at some very familiar passages that all of us have, have heard over uh, the decades. And most of us heard them in children's church. And uh, my hope and my prayer is as we study these passages, that God would reveal something new to us in a very familiar passage. You know, last week we looked at Jesus when he walked on water and we talked about that story has not n- nothing to do really with the faith of Peter. And yet so often we take that story and we look at it's about Peter. It's about Peter. No, that story is about who Jesus is and who Jesus calls us to be. And so it's not about his faith, but it's about who Jesus is saying to us. And it's when we lose focus of that, not when we lose focus of Jesus necessarily, it's when we lose focus that Jesus was the Son of God, that everything goes awry. This morning we're going to follow up that story. It comes right after that story. It's, It's a very familiar passage. It's where Jesus sends the demons into the pigs. And we're going to look at that passage this morning. And so let's turn to Mark chapter 5. And so I'll do it like I did last week. I'll read a little and then I'll teach a little and I'll go back to reading and teaching a a little different than I normally do. But I think it's important that this narrative be taught like a narrative. And so in chapter 5 of Mark, his gospel, you can find it in Matthew, you can find it in in the book of Luke, this story, uh, Matthew's account, Mark's account and Luke's account are more detailed than Matthew's account. And so remember the backdrop, remember what's going on uh, in this moment. The disciples had just been with Jesus when Jesus calms the storm, right? And remember, they were so afraid of Jesus' great power that they fall and worship him. And so here's moments later, not days later, maybe within hours later, that they finally cross the sea. And it says this, and they came to the other side. They is important. They, that means all of them, all the disciples with Jesus. And I wonder what the rest of that boat ride was like that evening. As they were in the boat and they were talking after Jesus had calmed the seas and after they had seen him walk on the water. I, I just wonder what that, those conversations were like in the boat. And I wonder if it... it you're anything like me, there's those moments that God does these big miraculous things and we kind of just want to sit in them, right? And we kind of just want to soak them in. And I wonder for the disciples that day, as they, they were sitting in the boat, they just wanted to kind of take a breather. Like, man, did that really happen? Have like, you ever been there before? Like, there, there's these big things that God does, and then we sit down and we just think, man, I, I need to soak it all in. I wonder if that was going on with the disciples. But Jesus doesn't tend to always give us time, does he? To soak it all in. It seems like there's something else always coming. I was talking to Miss Patty this morning about there's this slogan in our house that I'd love a, a plaque for. And, and it's, it's that idea of what's next. Like, well, man, like, give me a break already. Anyone ever felt that way? Like, oh, man, enough already. Well, I wonder if that's what was going on in the hearts of the disciples, in the conversation of the disciples. And then we see they came 
to the other side of the sea, to the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, look at the word, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with unclean spirits. And so here Jesus is, he steps out of the boat, and here comes this madman rushing towards him. I wonder what happened in the hearts of the disciples in that moment. Like, really, why couldn't we just take in what just happened out at sea? Why is this guy going to interrupt what our hearts are saying to us? Like, how big of an interruption would that have been that day? As the boat comes to the shore, Jesus steps out of the boat, and here comes this crazy man running towards him. Now, now it doesn't say that, that the story about this in this account, but in Luke's account, it says the story... Here's a man that ran to him butt naked. So here's this guy that's running down the hill, like waving his arms, completely naked. Get that picture in your mind. Like, I wonder if the disciples are like, oh, man, come on, dude. Like, just give us a break. Couldn't we have just come to the shore and just kind of ate, eating breakfast together and no disturbances and just kind of soaked it in what God had just done. But here comes this crazy man down the mountain. And it says immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Circle that, highlight that in your Bible. We're going to come back to that one line. Night after day, among the tombs and of the mountain, he was always crying out and always cutting himself with stones. So get the picture. Here's this naked, crazy lunatic running to Jesus that, that was totally scarred up from cutting himself and had like bits and pieces of chain still tied around him because nobody could subdue him and he lived in the tombs. Like think about that. Here's a man that lived in a graveyard. That's what that means. That's what it meant. It, uh, the tombs were on the side of a mountain in a cliff and people would put dead bodies in there as tombs. And so here's this crazy man who had been bound because of his craziness to the graveyard and here comes jesus and here comes the crazy man down off the mountain it says no one could bind him that word bind means in the greek it literally means as you would bind a wild animal I don't know if you've ever chained up a, a crazy dog or been around a crazy dog that's been chained up. It's not a pretty sight. I'm not talking like one of them lap dogs. I mean like a big uh, Doberman Pinscher, German Shepherd, anything over 40 pounds. Like here's this crazy guy that's been bound because he looks like and acts like an animal. Just a side note. We'll get there in a moment. I don't want us to miss this. This is you and I. We are the man in the tombs that acts like a crazy animal that nobody can bind. 
And we can come to this passage and we can say, man, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. I'm glad I'm not him. I'm glad I got my clothes on. I'm glad I don't got uh, shackles around my ankles. I'm glad I'm not out of my mind. But the reality, the truth is, all of us in this room are just like this man because we need what this man gets. So don't, don't mistake, man. We can look and we can have pity on this man and we can look at this guy and think, man, I'm glad that's not me. No, this is you. This is me. Amen? Do we believe that? This is all those children we just saw in Africa. They're all bound. They're all in chains. They're all in chaos. Which means we all need the same thing. We need someone to rescue us from the chaos. Did Jesus not just do that at the boat? You see, in that moment, Jesus rescued them from the chaos of the storm. He had supernatural powers over nature. This story is going to show us that Jesus has supernatural powers over the supernatural. Do we believe that this morning? And so here's this crazy lunatic. He runs to Jesus. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell before him. Now that, that idea is this crazy man sees Jesus, and from afar, what's going on internally in him, the demons recognize the power of Jesus as he stepped out of the boat for who Jesus was. It was the Son of God. We'll see that here in a moment. And yet, I wonder for us, church, do we see Jesus that way? Do we run to Jesus because we see him for who he is, the powerful son of a holy living God? He falls out before Jesus. He falls down in a place of worship to Jesus. And then crying out in a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus? What son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And we'll see here in a moment, this was not the man that was speaking. This was the demons that were speaking in him, which says to us, it goes back to James chapter 2, even the demons believe in who Jesus is, and they shudder. How come the demons know who Jesus is? Because the demons, as we see in the text, are fallen angels. Who are the fallen angels? They're the one-third of the angels that fell with Satan when Satan said, I want it my way. And then these angels became demons out of a a place of demand for something they had no business demanding, the glory of God. And so the demons know their ultimate fate because they know what Jesus said he was going to do to him. And you can see this in the book of Isaiah. Jesus said and God said to Satan and to the angels, the fallen angels, the demons, hey, you can have your way now, but your time's coming. And so the demons know their time is coming. That's why they fall before Jesus. They're not falling before Jesus in an act of worship as an act of surrender. They're falling towards Jesus in an act of desperation to be saved from what their fate is going to happen to them. Don't torment us. Don't torment us. I know the torment's going to happen. They know the torment is going to happen. And I wonder for us, church, Do we believe the way the demons believe? 
Do we really believe the ultimate power of a holy living God? You see, this story isn't about the demons. This story has everything to do with the power of Jesus Christ and the belief of who he is. And see, if all of it happens, if we just stop where the demons stop, hey, Jesus, I'll worship you so that blank doesn't happen, that's not enough. You see, it's not enough just to fall before Jesus and beg for mercy from hell. It's got to be an act of total surrender and worship for who he is. If not, we just have the same belief system as the demons do. You see, the demons weren't falling before Jesus that day to worship him. They were falling before Jesus to, to beg for mercy. Which says to us, we need Jesus as Lord and Savior. You see, the demons in a moment just believed Jesus as Savior. But they were not going to surrender their will to a Lord that then they would follow him in worship. You see that in the text? And so here it is. This man with all these demons fall before Jesus because they understand who Jesus is. They understand the power that Jesus has and they beg him not to torment them. For he, the, the man with the demons, was saying, him jesus was saying to him excuse me for he jesus was saying to him come out of the man you unclean spirits and then jesus asked them what is your name highlight that in your bible that's so important when anytime you see anyone talk about names that had everything to do with their nature and their character it wasn't just a name like you you know for us we we have you know there's people have names but back then when you name somebody something it, it had everything to do with their character, their nature, who they were. It, it had more so than their name. It had everything to do with their identity. And so Jesus says, okay, I'm going to get to know you, your real nature. I'm going to call that out. And so he says to him, hey, what's your name? Who are you? By what nature do you do the things that you do? And then the man replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. The word Legion there has everything to do with, with the Roman uh, uh, society, with Roman uh, armies. And so most scholars say that Legion met over 6,000 soldiers. He says to Jesus, hey, our name is Legion, because there's many of us. And Legion means 6,000. Here's a man that had six thousand demons in him think about the torment that man had every moment of his life for a moment six thousand unclean spirits in him all the time is what he said he never rested he never had a break he, he never could sit down he was always being tormented And he begged him, Jesus, earnestly, not to send them out of the country. Don't, don't just send us away. Don't just get rid of us. Don't just send us to our final destination. Don't just get rid of us is what the demons were saying. We, we know, the demons are saying, we know you, you have all power and all control. And if, if your decision is to get rid of us once and for all, you could do that in this moment. So please, please, Lord Jesus, don't do that to us. And 
And now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And the demons, the legion, begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs and let us enter them. And so what the demons are saying to Jesus is, Hey, we know you're sovereign and you're control and you have all the power and we know that you can do whatever you see fit to do with us. So we're just begging you, send us to the pigs. And as I was studying this passage this week, I thought to myself, do I believe the way that the, the demons believe? Do I really believe that he's sovereign and in control of all things? Do I really believe that? I know I say I believe that. But here's these demons that really believed he was sovereign and in control of all things. And he was begging them because he, they knew he was sovereign and all, in control of all things to do for them what they could not do for themselves, and that was the five mercy and and pity on them and i wonder to myself do i approach jesus that way like okay like i know in my brain you're sovereign in control but does my heart always say that or do i say man he might be able to do it he might not 50 50 chance i would never say that out loud because you know, I'm a pastor, and we don't say those kind of things out loud. But if I'm honest today, which I will be, I often do those things. Like, oh, God, I really need you to come through here or here or here. Instead of waiting for the Lord to do what he can do because he's sovereign and in control of all things, I tend to put my hand in the mix to make sure it happens. Anyone identify with that? Okay, I guess, oh, good. Finally got some... Uh, feedback i'm not always alone but but these demons knew this is the son of god we're speaking to and because he's the son of the most high god then his father he's in direct communication with the father therefore man anything this guy says is going to happen so please have pity on us and send us to the pigs and what happens it's amazing to me Here's these unclean spirits that get asked to be sent to unclean animals. You see that in the passage? Like, we just see pigs, but pigs in the Jewish culture was a very unclean animal. So here's this unclean man that's been in a tomb that has unclean spirits in him that is asking, hey, send us out of this uncleanliness of our own uncleanliness into more uncleanliness. Amazing. that were feeding on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so what happened? Five amazing words. So he gave them permission. See, they couldn't enter those pigs. They couldn't go anywhere without the sovereign God saying, okay. You see that in the text? It was because of the permission of the sovereignty of God that those unclean spirits left an unclean man to enter into an unclean animal. It's only because of his permission. Do we believe that, church? See, this passage shows us who Jesus really is. He's sovereign in control of everything. From the man in the tombs to the demons in the man in the tombs to even the pigs on the seashore 
So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned at sea. Now, now we just simply see this as here's this herd of pigs. Jesus sends these unclean spirits in. This herd of pigs runs down the mountain and they drown. But do you realize what just happened? Think about it. I'm no farmer, but 2,000 sounds like a lot of pigs, which means that's a lot of money. And back then it was even more money than what it is now. 2,000 pigs from these herdsmen rushed down and drowned themselves. What does that happen to the herdsmen? They got nothing. You don't think Jesus knew that? Side note to that is my own personal belief in studying it is that, that Jesus used these wicked pigs because the, the people were exploiting the Jewish people through this unclean animal. Jesus said, I'll just take care of more than just that guy's uncleanliness. I'll take care of this whole town's uncleanliness. Like you're exploiting the Jewish people. The Jewish people, hey, you know you're not supposed to be eating pigs, and yet these Gentiles were selling these pigs to a Jewish people. That's not okay. Jesus said, okay, have your way. Go into the pigs, and then you'll end up with nothing. And so here's these pigs. They run down the mountain. They drown in the sea. And then what does it say? The herdsmen fled and told it all to the city and in the country. So here are the herdsmen. They're watching. They're watching their money go over the side of the hill. They watch them drown. They have this panic moment. In that panic moment, they go out, and, and they're more focused on what? They're not focused on the guy that just got relieved from a whole lifetime of bondage, but they're more concerned about what? Their pocketbook. And I thought to myself, man, how often is that me? How often is that me? I'm more concerned about how much is in my bank account. And then I thought to myself, not only do, do I do that, hey, church, we do that. And I'm going to get real personal. We have $450,000 in a bank account. That's not our money. And at any moment, at any given time, God could take that money from us. And what are we going to say about it? Oh gosh, can you imagine what God just did? Can you imagine that God just took all this money away? Or we say, oh my God, we have not been faithful with what God had given to us, and so he took it from us. I hope that steps on your toes, because it steps on my toes. Are we more concerned with money or are we more concerned with souls? You see, those herds were more, way more concerned with money than they were a soul. So they left, the herdsmen left, and they panicked about their money, and they, they said this to the people, and then the people said, oh my goodness, let's go see what's going on. And they came and, to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had been with the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And what does it say? They were afraid. And so they came and they heard all that Jesus had done with these pigs and they see this man, they see him sitting right beside Jesus, fully clothed and fully in his right mind, and they wig out, they get totally afraid. Is that not what just happened 20 hours ago with the, the disciples in the boat? Did it say when they saw the power of Jesus, his own disciples got afraid? And so here it is again. 
when we see the power of God at work, we ought to be afraid. And then what do they do in their fear? What did they do in their fear? They were all afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And what does it say? After they heard what had happened and they heard about the man, they heard about the pigs. It said they did this. They began and begged Jesus to depart. What? Here's the people. They just saw a miracle happen. They just saw a man that had been in a tomb with unclean spirits for his whole lifetime that got saved, that got relieved, that got set free. Remember what it said. Nobody had ever been able to set this man free. They, they bound him. No one could do it. Nobody. So they bound him up. And then Jesus did what nobody could do and was to set him free. And they panic. And they become afraid. And they become more concerned about they're wild. They become more concerned about them than they do in praising the God of the universe who had just set one man free. And they beg him, go away, go away, go away, go away. It's too much for us. It's too much for us. And I wonder to myself, church, what if God showed up in that way? What, will, what would our response be? Would we ask him to leave? Now, I think out loud we'd say no but I wonder if internally if God began to strip us of things that we did not want him to strip us of and really face us with who we are and who he is will we not somehow some way say man go away God if God took all of our children from us or God took all of our money from us or God took all of our security from us financially if God took our home for us all the things that God would taking for us so they could really set us free would we really say I'm set free or we say oh man go away enough is enough what would we do church my heart would be what happened to the demon possessed man that's my hope my great fear is it probably wouldn't be that way. I don't know what I'd do if God took Tennyson and took Cedar and took Jenny from me. I don't know what I would do. I know what I hope I would do. But I don't know what I would do. Whatever that thing is as you sit here, man, if, if God took that from me, I don't know what I would do. then we have an idolatry problem. Is that not true? If, if the, the one thing that says, man, if God would take anything, but if God took this, I'm not sure what I'd do. Then I better really start focusing on, okay, God, if you do take this from me, what do I do? I hope and pray that my heart is steadfast with the Lord Jesus. I hope it wouldn't be like the herdsmen and the townspeople, get away, get away, get away, get away. My hope would be what it would be what happened to the demon-possessed man. They begged them to go away. And here's the saddest part of this whole story. It says, they begged him to depart. And as he was getting back into the boat, Jesus said, okay, you want me gone? I'm out of here. You don't want me here? Okay. Do you see that in the passage? These men begged Jesus to leave, and Jesus said, Okay. If we want Jesus to leave, I promise he's going to say okay. 
which is the saddest, scariest part of the whole story to me. These men said, go away, go away, go away, go away, depart. And as he was getting into the boat to leave, he wasn't going to justify himself. He wasn't going to do more work than those people wanted him to do. He, he wasn't going to defend himself. He wasn't going to fight for them. He simply said, okay, if that's what you want, that's what you get. But then there's one man in the crowd. There's one man in the crowd. And as he's getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. Oh, Jesus, don't go. Don't go. If you go, take me. I got to be where you're going. Take me. Take me. Take me, Lord Jesus. Because he had just experienced something that no one else could ever give him, and that was freedom. And then in a turn of events, what does Jesus say to the man? That he might be with him. You would think that Jesus would say, man, out of all these people, you want to come with me? Come with me. Out of all these people, everyone else wants to reject me. Everyone else wants to leave me. Everyone else wants to push me away. But you're the one guy in the whole crowd that wants to be with me. I know my nature would be like, man, come on, let's get out of here. But what does he say to the man? He did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And no, no, you can't come with me. No, no, you can't come because I, I, I got a mission for you. I, I want to use you and how you've been set free to set others free. So no, you can't come with me. You go, and you go tell the story of all that just took place. How you've been set free, and how the demons that were in you, all 6,000 of you, went onto the shore, into the pigs, and the pigs ran over and, and died. I want you to tell everyone that, and I want you to focus on how I had mercy on you. Go tell people that. Like, don't focus on the pigs. Don't focus on the money. Focus on the mercy I've had on you. And I just wonder to myself, as the herdsmen heard that, how outraged they must have been. What? You had mercy on him? What about mercy for us? You set him free, but you left us in bondage? And Jesus said, yet, yeah, go to your family and go to your friends and go to the city and talk to them about the mercy that I've given to you. I think that's one of the most beautiful things that God has done in our church over the last year with Mike and Michelle and Jerry and Patty. You've come back and you said, hey, he didn't change the cards. It hadn't been easy this year, but all oh, we get to sit in the mercy of God. Amen? church and what god is saying to us church man i might strip you of a lot of things but what i'll strip you of will always leave you with a great place that i will always have mercy on you now go tell about the mercy you know we just talked about it several weeks ago here's what we call a grace story 
Here's this man that had been relieved from the demons to be used by God to go set people free. We, we see this play out in a, in a couple chapters. But this man went into the, the uh, Diocles, the, the town of ten cities, and proclaimed it, which prepared the way of the Lord Jesus when he came. And when he preached the message, it says that many in there came to know him. I have everything and every right to believe it was because the demon-possessed man went and witnessed and made way for the king. Amen? I just wonder, church, for us, are we preparing the way for the king? You see, every one of you, if you know Christ today, you have been set free. The chains are no longer there. All my sin, not in part, but in whole, have been nailed to the tree. Did we not just sing that? And did we just not say amen to that? But is that really true for us? Not true intellectually, but true emotionally and spiritually. Because if it's true emotionally and spiritually, we'll leave this place and we'll prepare the way for the king. That we will say, man, God has set me free. And if God has set me free from these chains and I see how God did this, man, I'm going to make sure that every man, woman, and child within a five-mile radius gets the opportunity to see the mercy of God. And how are they going to see the mercy of God? It's going to be played through me who's received the mercy of God. Amen? And so we take our great story the same way that the demon-possessed man took his great story into a great city and prepared the way for a king. But it's going to start all the way back to do we believe that you and I were this. He lived among the tombs. And no, they could not ever bind him enough and they could not chain him enough and they bound him so often that his chains were broken and no one had the strength to subdue him no one in this room has the strength to really set us free or to make us free that's really what they're talking about in this passage and yet do we believe that jesus did exactly for this man what he's done for each one of us. And therefore, he can do that for every man, woman, and child that he allows us to be in contact with. Do we believe that about the children we just prayed over as we send these missionaries back into the school tomorrow, that the God of the universe that set them free can use these teachers and these, this faculty to set the hearts of the children through, through a public education? Do we believe that? Are we going to be more concerned about the 2,000 pigs. Are we being good stewards with all the resources that God has given to us? All of them. From every dime that's in my pocket to every breath that I breathe. Are we, the church, being good stewards with that? Or we be the herdsmen that sit on the shore and say, I can't believe you've done that. I can't believe you'd rob me of those things to set one man free. I ask the question, is $450,000 in the bank worth one soul coming to know Jesus? Is it worth it? 
and where God release us of holding so tightly to what he's given to us so that we can take the glory of God to a lost world and help set people free from the bondage that they have because of they do not know Christ Jesus. Will we live open-handed or will we live like the herdsmen? Let us pray. God, I pray that we are like the demon-possessed man. That we recognize that you have set us free and we're free indeed and we want to follow after you and that you would then say and turn to us and say, oh, no, no, go, go and proclaim the mercy. And God, as we come to your table, the Lord's table, I pray that as we take the bread and we take the juice, that we be reminded of those things. It's because of your body and your blood shed for us and broken for us that we are set free. Just like what we sang, and it is well with my soul. Not my son in part, but in whole. It was nailed to the tree. Let's be reminded of that today, Lord Jesus. The deacons would come and prepare the Lord's supper for us.